Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Would you join me in your Bibles to Book of Hebrews, Chapter 11? And we're jumping right into this fairly early because I want to go back to some worship again. One of the advantages of being, uh, you know, the one dog pony show in the morning is that you can kind of do it whatever the way you want to do it. So I can preach, I can sing, I can sing, and I can preach. And so you could kind of go back and forth. And so we're going to do that. We're going to come back with a bit more music at the end, just give an opportunity to apply. I thought what it would be nice, don't get a whole lot of opportunity to lead in worship these days, and, and I, don't, I don't complain about that at all. Uh, but having said that, uh, I thought it would be good for us to talk about worship today. There's something, and it really fits into our theme of what we've been talking about in the last while. Now is the time. And it really fits into the theme of we are living in a, in a moment in time, I think, that even is heightened in the need to be able to do these things. Maybe more so than it was a couple years ago. I don't think it wasn't two years ago, three years, five years, ten years ago, but there's a heightened need for it. We've seen a lot of things. We've made a lot of discoveries in the last couple of years. It's it's accelerated a lot of things that we needed to find out. Uh, And part of that had to do with a message of my, title of my message this morning, Are We Making Any Mistakes in Worship? Really long title. I didn't know how to bring that one down. Are We Making Any Mistakes in Worship? So I want to start off with Hebrews chapter 11. If you have that, Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the faith chapter. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is... Somebody finish it for me. You can't please... So the inverse is true. If you want to please God, you must have faith. Not just any faith. I mean, you had faith this morning when you sat on that chair. You had faith you wouldn't land on the floor. We're not talking about faith in floor or faith in chairs or faith in your your vehicle out in the parking lot. We're talking about faith in God. And so when we mention faith in God, we're specifically thinking, is God able and is he willing? Really, those are the two questions, isn't it? Is he able to do what we're asking? If he's not able, why am I asking? If he's not able to heal, why ask for healing? If he's not able to, to bring restoration, why ask for it? Are you able? But the other question... Will you? Will you do it? Able and willing. Those are two key questions when it comes to faith. Faith in God. So, faith in God. Faith pleases God. There's an old song. Some of you know it. You can finish it for me. Faith in God can move a mighty mountain. Faith in God can calm the troubled seas. Faith can make a desert like a fountain. Faith can bring the victory. Really a good song. Good words. Well, it comes back to in that chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It has confidence and assurance, faith. It was during this past Christmas week, between Christmas and New Year's, spent some time in, in you know, just seeking direction for the new year. Something just resonated in my spirit over and over and over. And it was this expression. Faith or praise and worship releases faith. I didn't say praise and worship gives you faith. What gives us faith? Well, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. 
That's how faith comes. But how is it released? There are people who have faith, but the faith is going nowhere. If you can't release it, it's not a whole lot of point having it. Faith comes from hearing the word, but releasing it, praise and worship releases faith. When I begin to praise and worship, regardless of the circumstance, I release faith. When I begin to praise and do the things in, 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 in regarding to who he is and the declarations that he has declared, I'm not talking about being you know, um, brainless in this or simply claim, name it, claim it perspective. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about according, faith is having confidence and assurance of what he is and who, is he able and is he willing. And therefore, I place my faith, and one of the greatest ways to release it is praise and worship. The last 20 minutes was one of the greatest ways for you to release faith. And when we miss that, we've missed a great opportunity. So I want to really create a teaching moment here this morning that will, I think, is going to just be a blessing, could be a tremendous blessing to lives here today. You do not have to be musical to have praise and worship. You just have to have a heart that's still beating. And by the way, that's true of all of us here, or else you wouldn't be here. So we can release praise and worship. You say, well, that's not my character. But you can grow in that character. And there's nothing godly about not having praise and faith. We will express it in different ways. I, I really do, I don't use the word love very often. I really love Aurora Cornerstone Church for one of the main reasons is we are multicultured in this church. And one of the joys I have, and this is what I'm looking forward to. Matter of fact, somebody this morning already, we were talking about praising and worshiping and, and, and dancing. And they said, man, my culture. Let me tell you what we do in my culture. And, and it's just, that's the, that's the wonderful thing of us here today. Multicultures bring the expression of you to the place of worship. Don't conform to the lowest common denominator, but let it rise up. And let there be expression in worship. And I look forward to that growing. I'm not referring to weirdness and goofiness. Sometimes it looks like that, maybe. But I'm referring to praise and worship. We're going to talk a bit more about that. So are we making any mistakes in worship? Well, a person that I've never met but I have deep, deep respect for is John. John the disciple. John the beloved. The one who sat right next to Jesus at the Last Supper who leaned over and put his head on Jesus' bosom. I, I like John. I like, he's the, I, they suspect he was the youngest of the 12. I like him. I'm the youngest in my family. And so there, there's something about John. I feel affinity with John. But John made a big mistake. And he made it not in the early days. We make mistakes when we're young and reckless and, and foolish. and You're not very wise. Hopefully we get older, we make less mistakes. Well, John made this mistake right at the pinnacle of his life. He was on the island of Patmos. He was already spent years with Jesus. He was a seasoned veteran disciple. He made a couple big ones. Let's read of it. Revelation 22. John makes a mistake. Verse 8. I mean, Revelation is an earth-shattering book. He's seeing things that he can't describe. But we get to verse 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw all these things. And when I heard, and when I had heard and seen them, here it is, here's the mistake, ready? I fell down to worship at the feet 
of the angel. Do you see it? Who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that, exclamation mark. It was a rebuke, sharp rebuke. Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Then he tells them, worship God. John made a mistake. He worshiped an angel. Now, we're not told he, you know, had a deep desire in his heart to continue to worship the angel, but he fell down at the angel and started worshiping the angel, and the angel said, get up, worship God. But something undid John to cause him to do that. Can we, can we conclude with that? John, a seasoned apostle, dropped before an angel and worshiped. Something shook him beyond what he could handle. Hmm. Well, let me start with this. Everything in this world has its environment of life. Let me explain that. Fish live in the atmosphere of where? Water. Take a fish out of water, they die. So fish have an environment. It's the environment of water. Humankind, us, we live in the atmosphere of air. Put us in water, what happens without air? We drown. We have an environment of air. God lives in an environment. Yes, he's everywhere present. But he lives and he manifests himself in an environment. He creates things in environments. And God actually has an environment. God's environment, you can't but go from Genesis to Revelation, so you will come to a conclusion. God's environment is praise and worship. It's God's environment. You want to see God manifest himself? There's the environment. I mean, you look at stories, you look at the story of, of Solomon and the great worship, the story of David and the great worship. You look at the story of Nehemiah and the dedication of the temple. You look at the different stories and the celebrations of worship. You see Paul and Silas in jail, and they begin to worship in jail, and everything shakes and doors bust open. Something happens in the environment of praise and worship that moves God in on your scene. When we withhold it from him, we withhold the ability of releasing our faith. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God, but it's released through praise and worship. I think that's one of the greatest travesties that has taken place in the last two years, honestly, is in the context of the body, us, that has hindered our worship. People who make decisions believe that church, religion, is about ecumenical exercises. But I think the greatest thing when we get together is the ability for us to praise and worship God. And when we stifle that, the world will never know that, nor can they. But when they stifle that, they've stifled one of the greatest things. It's like cutting off your right arm when it comes to your approach to, your, to worshiping God, to embracing Him, and to the power of God moving in our midst has been stifled. I know when, when I sing, and I sing with masks on, but I get... I get out of breath really quick. Do you find that true? It's just I can't get enough air. And so I sing quietly. Uh, we were told at first, don't sing. And I thought, how do you go to church and have worship songs and not sing? Like, I'll, I'll never go to a church and go to a concert. It's, it's, I got to sing. I got to sing. If I don't sing, I'm afraid the rocks will cry. I got to sing. But I couldn't sing loud. I couldn't sing with all my diaphragm because I couldn't get enough air. I'd probably pass out. 
it's just what we've had. But here it is. Things are changing. I'm, we're being called back to the place where faith is going to be released to praise and worship. Uh, so there's an atmosphere. We talked about God lives in the atmosphere of worship. Uh, an atmosphere conducive. He manifests himself in the place of praise and worship. We see that in heaven around the throne. This reverberating praise, atmosphere of jubilant glorification of God. Go back to chapter 4 of John, or Revelation, and we hear John again. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and a voice I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, saying, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Verse 2, at once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven, and someone sitting on it. Then he begins to talk of the revelation. But, then you, but around the throne, something amazing is taking place. What is happening is there's, there's something that's flowing back and forth unceasingly between as the elders and those around the throne see God. They begin to just naturally praise and worship him. And as they praise and worship him, they see him in the new revelation. And as they see him in new revelation, they begin to praise and worship him more. And as they praise and worship him more, more revelation comes. And you see this, what we call the life-exchanging flow of heaven to beings. Eternity tells us it will go on for eternity. How does it go on for eternity? How can we exist like, we know, we sing a song for 20 minutes when we're ready to go do something else. Eternity, oh, maybe I should reevaluate. Do I really want to go to heaven? But what happens when you behold him Everything that you were created for comes forth. And something bursts forth, and as it bursts forth, it seems to feed his glory, and his glory becomes more splendid. And as we see him in more splendidness, we begin to praise him more diligently and with more zeal. And as we do that, more of his glory. And again, what we call that the life-giving exchange. A flow takes place. A flow takes place. I have to wonder... If we can't but have a shadow of that here on this earth. I don't want to just wait for heaven for that. I want to experience it now. I want to experience it here. I want to experience something of the, of the glory of God here. Is it available? Is it even possible? I mean, John's mistake here was that in his excitement, in the atmosphere of heaven, he fell down and worshipped an angel. I wonder if we're making some mistakes. We see John, this wasn't, the this, this wasn't the first time he did this back in chapter 19. Back in chapter 19, if you were to read that chapter, it was a chapter that talked about the thunderous praise emanating from heaven. There was the first time, chapter 19, verse 10, and speaks of John being commanded to worship God when he begins to worship an angel. He worshiped an angel twice in the book of Revelation. Chapter 19, chapter 22. You'd think he would have learned from chapter 19. Chapter 19, he was overcome. He began to worship what was before him, and the angel said, stop it. Worship only God. And then in chapter 22, he was overcome again. He began to worship, and the angel said, stop it. Worship only God. John knew that in his head, but his body was trying to figure it out. Well, the exchanging life flow of God to us, what will it look like? You know, uh, I believe that the releasing of his gifts, the releasing of the life flow, is, is what's being called forth today. Possibly, perhaps, too often, 
our hearts are centered more on the function of the Lord than on who he is. It's why I constantly work in ministry to make sure we have a strong set of songs that depict who he is and not about us. There's a, there seems to be a plethora of songs that come out, uh, who knows when, I'm not going to put dates to it, that talk about us. You're here for us, you're here for us, you're here. I, and that's okay, There's, but not at the expense of praising and thanking him and worshiping him and exalting him and who he is. So I want to just do this. One of the things I like doing, I remember Doc Dobbins when I was doing uh, school of pastoral counseling, he was talking about it's not simply good enough to tell them what to do, you have to tell them how to get there. He kept, don't, don't say what to do, how do I get there? And so I'm very, I'm very focused on that. So here's, let me, let me do the how here. So the how we talked about, we, back a couple of weeks ago, we talked of the tabernacle. We come into the tabernacle, it has three sections. It has the outer courts, it's the place of thanksgiving. The inner courts is the place of praise, and then you worship him, and it's by invitation. The outer court, the place of thanksgiving. We can thank him. Thanking him can I encourage regular thanksgiving to God. Regular, every day. It doesn't hurt even when we start our prayers off to start in thanking him. Lord, I thank you. There's an old song. It used to be, count your blessings, finish it for me. Name them one by... The whole idea is don't neglect the things that you need to say thanks for. And make sure one of the top ones are your salvation. Thank you, God, for my salvation. I heard a speaker one time. He got up and he was just so thankful to God. God, I thank you for not making me a frog. And then he said he had so many letters come in that he had bad theology about being made a frog. And he said, ah, you missed it. I'm just glad I'm not a frog. And, you know, but thanking God. Thank God for my salvation. Thank you, you're my redeemer. Lord, I thank you, you're my deliverer. Has he delivered you from anything? What's he delivered you from? Thank you for my health. I was able to get up, come out, drive here, get up on the platform, Lord willing, I'll be able to leave the same way. Thank you for my health. There's people who can't. Thank you for my life. Thank you for my life. There's people who don't want to live anymore. Thank you for giving me life, Lord. Every breath I breathe, thank you. Thank you for this church. Are you thankful for this church? I thank you for these, the church. I thank you for the vision 31 years ago. I thank you for what you've done over these last decades. I thank you for the people who are part of this church. I thank you for those that volunteer. I thank you, Lord, for Joel, who makes me sound so good in the morning, and Mitzi, who reiterates the things I'm saying on PowerPoint. God, thank you. I thank you for the musicians, because if it weren't for them, I can't do it. I thank you for the volunteers. I thank you for every person who walks in and is a part of my family, our family, your family. I thank you for the church. I thank you for my friends. I thank you for my enemies. I got a series I'm going to preach sometime. Why it's necessary to have some enemies. Now don't go out and make some enemies. But enemies have the ability to hone the best in your spiritual life. So, thank you for my enemies. You can name them one by one. Thank you for my freedom. There's people right now in the world we're well aware of don't have freedom. I thank you for my finances. I thank you for the work you've given me. I thank you for the gifts you've given me. I thank you, Lord. 
Do you have something to give thanks for? Name them. List the things that you can give thanks for. And then I think what we make, I'm going to call it, we make a mistake often when we go to the book of Psalms. Because oftentimes we've treated the book of Psalms as poetic literature. But Psalms was really meant to be expressive worship. Psalms was never meant to be read. Psalms was meant to be worship. You were meant to express yourself in Psalms. So, in however you express, it was, it was singing, it was prayer, it was in praise, it was in shouting, it was a declaration, Psalms. Psalms was meant to be an expression. But often what we've done, not just with the Psalms, but with much of the scriptures, we've relegated it to a reading. And so we read, we close, we feel we've completed what we need to have done, and we wonder why our spirituality is dry. Because that's not what it was there for. We just tapped into the early part. Yes, read, grow, but now let there be expression grow from what God is just sharing with you. So in the place we praise him, we talk of the outer courts, thanksgiving, we move into the inner courts, the place of praise. And when we come to Psalms, we praise him. You say, well, I don't know what to praise him for. Well, you know what I just did? I just, a couple days ago, I, because I'm thinking through the questions, well, how do I do it? So if you go on your phone or your computer and you search praising the Lord God, if you search the names of God, if you do that, it'll bring up a whole bunch of things. Uh, some of them I brought up. I have some of the ones here this morning. Uh, so I praise him for some of the names. El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty. Adonai, the Lord is my master. Nisi. He's my banner. The banners waved in victory. The Lord Rapha, the God who heals. Sid Canu, he's my righteousness. My righteousness is found in him. It's a good thing because I haven't got much of my own, but my righteousness is found in him. He's Sid Canu. He's El Olam, everlasting God. Jehovah Jireh, you know Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He's the great I am, the faithful one, the lifter of my head, the prince of peace. They just keep going. These are all taken from expressions of him, his names, coming out of his names. But not only that, I can praise him for his attributes, his attributes, attributes. Why don't we just join it together? I'm, I'm going to say, can you repeat these after me? You're my alpha and omega. You're the unchanging one, all sufficient one. Almighty one, all-knowing all and all-perfect, all perfect. perfect and kind, perfect and kind. Full, of full of goodwill, you're just and altogether right, and altogether. merciful and compassionate, merciful and compassionate. Everlasting, God. everlasting God, holy and beautiful, holy and wonderful and great. Why don't we just take a moment and praise the Lord right here? Go ahead. Just lift your hands, Lord. We just praise you. Lord, we lift our voice. You are all those things to us, oh God. Lord, we don't have to be told to have a moment of praise when we're singing. We can praise you at any given moment because God praises on our lips. And so we declare praise. We don't reduce our praise to the word hallelujah. That's too easy. Our praise is going to formulate words of who you are and, and what you have done. And so, Lord, we praise you and we honor you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We praise him. Praise the name of the Lord. We praise him. So can't we have a shadow of this? 
of his goodness and his glory right here, right now, right in whatever I am living through. Let it be part of who I am. Lifting ourselves, seated in the place, the spirit in praise. Psalms 22, 3, David says, God inhabits, there it is. He habitats when we praise him. So praise and worship releases faith. When I begin to declare those things, all those things, that's why, we could, that's why it was easier for you to lift your hands and worship him at the end of saying that than if I had asked you to do it at the beginning. Did you follow that? It was a lot easier. Why was it easier to do it? Because your heart was already magnifying him. Your mouth was already declaring. So I had you repeat it. I, I fooled you. I had you repeat it. So your mouth began to declare something. And as your mouth began to declare something, your heart began to become jubilant. As your heart becomes jubilant, you begin to open, the heavens begin to open up greater than they were a few minutes before. And you praise him. You worship him. It can be done at so many different places and times. The exchange of worship and praise. Psalm 47.1. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. There's so many expressions spoken of. Clapping your hands. Now, we often clap at the end of a concert. Clap when something good, you know, a recital. Our children at school did a recital, you know, encourage them. Clap your hands. Sometimes at the end of a song, we will clap our hands, and it's an appropriate place to do it. Biblically speaking, oftentimes clapping of the hands was done when they went into war. They began to clap going into war. Something just vibrating with, you know, a few thousand people clapping their hands going into war. It kind of makes you feel like they know something you don't know. And you get a little worried. Clapping of the hands was used to confuse the works of the enemy. The scripture in the psalmist talks, or I think the prophets talked about, the fingers become works of war as we clap. Our fingers become instruments of war. Instruments of war. Used to have this lady who was a prayer warrior and used to lead out in prayer. She always started off, and I released the instruments of war, and she began to just, you know, clap her hands. And you just, you, you just see the enemy just like, whoa, what do you know that I don't know? And, well, maybe you don't know how great our God is, and he always wins. And we just need to clap our hands, all you people. Shout to the Lord with the voice. Of, what about shouting? Now, I'm not going to do that because I'd lose it right here. My voice is already tedious right now. But to shout to God. You had an opportunity. I don't mean shout in anger. <laughs> God, where are you? No, I don't mean that. I mean just in the place of worship and praise. Just declare some of those things. You are great and great. You are almighty God. Something about those words declare that you have to kind of give a little bit of volume to it. Shouting to the Lord. Stun the Old Testament. Now, some people have I've heard them say, well, that's that's the Old Testament. We live in the New Testament pastor and we don't have to do that anymore here's uh, something regarding biblical application anything in the old testament is appropriate for the new testament christian unless the new testament says otherwise did you follow that anything in the old testament is appropriate for the new testament unless the new testament says no and there are some things the new testament has said no about that were old testament some of the feasts Jesus accomplished them, so no, you don't have to keep doing those feasts. Some of the festivals, no, you don't have to keep doing those festivals. Jesus accomplished it. Circumcision. <laughs> circumcision. You don't have to do circumcision in the New Testament because it's now circumcision of the heart. They talk about it. Paul talks about it. Romans. However, um, some of the foods. Okay, the foods, you couldn't eat the foods because they've been offered to idols. Paul addressed it and says, no, if your heart doesn't smite you, you can eat those. The foods are okay to be eaten in the New Testament. So the New Testament 
changed what the Old Testament said. So some things stopped, but some things went right on through and they're meant to be carried through to today. Some things, for instance, meant to be carried right through is prayer. In the New Testament, they made prayer even bigger than they did in the Old Testament. Jesus exemplified the power of prayer. The disciples exemplified the power of prayer. The prayer goes from the old into the new, goes right through the cross. We're to pray right today. We're to pray. Another thing, another thing is praise and worship. Praise and worship was never meant to stop in the book of Psalms. Praise and worship goes right on through, zings right into the New Testament. We see God bringing and, and embracing the atmosphere of praise right into the New Testament. Praise and worship. So we go back to the Psalms. and The Psalms, again, was a, a songbook meant to be expressed. And in the Psalms, I'm going to call it the Davidic praise, the Davidic worship. David, David, the Psalms, Davidic. Davidic outlines three main ways of worshiping and praising God. We praise him with our mouth, with our hands, with our body. Three main ways. With our mouth, with our hands, with our body. Mouth, singing, praising, and shouting. Now here's, here's what I'm trying to accomplish here this morning. I want you to embrace ways that you haven't been praising him. I want you to embrace that. Because often we've reduced it just to saying something. But I'm going to encourage New Testament worship that we can sing praise. We can shout praise with our mouth. Praise. Secondly, with your hands. The lifting of hands. So let's just do something. If we all do it, we won't seem silly. So would you lift your hands? Go ahead and lift your hands. Lift. Okay. Thank you. Well, that looks really good. Take a look around. Keep your hands up. Take a look around. That look good? That look good? Okay, lifting hands. Okay, thank you. Now, you don't, don't give it a second thought. Two hands, one hand, hand out, hand in, up high, up low. Who cares? Didn't tell us how high. It's just to lift your hands. It just says lift your hands. Lift your hands. I invite the worship with the lifting of hands. Uh, it's one of the most liberal things. Now, I grew up in a charismatic Pentecostal church, and so we, I saw it from a baby. But I know some of you who've come in from other denominations, it's like, what are they doing? You know, even those who might be watching live stream, why, why would you lift your hands? Well, we're commanded. It's one of the things to praise God. And there's liberty. I've discovered there's, there's times when I want to do this, but I make a choice to do this. And when I do this, something begins to just soften right there. But somehow I seem to have guarded it when I was doing it. So I don't... There's something's released in the power of lifting hands, clapping hands, playing an instrument. Thankful to be able to play an instrument. I come from a family that was fairly musical. My dad was quite musical. He, nobody could play a Gibson electric guitar like my dad. I'll never come close to playing. That He played his Gibson. He was in a quartet with his brother and sisters. They were accomplished pianists, went on to teach and did piano in school and in front of churches and stuff. And... And so that, a bit of that kind of trickle-down trickle effect to me. And, but to worship them with the instrument, I am so thrilled with some of the youth who are now taking up instruments in our youth. We, the youth band has now had some practices with guitars, with drums, with uh, Cajun. I think I'm saying it right, Cajun. It spells wrong. It sounds, spells Cajun, but it's apparently Cajun, Pastor Brett tells me. So anyway, um, 
and uh, with um, clapping, with the vocal cords to be able to worship God. God is calling forth praise with instruments, with our bodies, our bodies bowing, standing, dancing. Now, I know some of you guys dance. But if you dance for the Lord, if you dance for the Lord. Now, you don't have to do it today. Um, but maybe this is what I did. Because I was told growing up dancing, no matter how you dance, it was evil. Okay, that's how my growing up days. It was the old, old style. Um, and I remember where I was reading it and I realized this was of the Lord to dance. And so I decided to try it out privately with me and the Lord and some music. And uh, it was kind of liberating, but I'm really glad nobody was there except me and the Lord. Uh, I don't think he laughed. He might have. But it's something that was liberating. There's a time to dance. We actually sang a dance song earlier. Did you catch that? We had a dance song. Uh, and I sing because you are good. And I dance because you are... It almost behooves us if somebody wouldn't just like start doing the two kick, you know, and start dancing for the Lord. It's biblical. I had a doctor, PhD, tell a bunch of pastors, and I was there. He says, if you don't dance, you're living in disobedience. If you don't dance before the Lord. He says, it's not an option. He command, He went to the scripture. He says, I command you to dance. Will you dance for me? And you could just see the place was dead quiet. Like I just looked at my colleagues, you know, just like, whoa, you know. It was Daniel in the lion's den. And, and it's like, wow, you just crossed the threshold here, buddy. Dance before the Lord. Calling him forth. And it's not because of Wayne. It's God. We, were, we pastored a church. And we would sing the song, Oh, Come to the Altar. You know the song? Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You know the song? That song could not be said in the church. Could not be sang in the church without a bunch of people coming to the altar. No matter where the song was in the set list. People just came to the altar. And I remember... You know, it, not once could that song be sung without somebody coming to the altar. And it typically wasn't one or two. Like it, a bunch came to the altar. And it wasn't just a certain person. It was young, old. And then when you look back during that song, because that was the chorus. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood. You'd look back. I'd see people. And often my response, because we were already on the front row. We were basically at the altar ourselves singing the song. Often my response, especially when I saw people go to the altar. During the singing of the song, they just walked on up and just began. Some stood, some knelt, some went prostrate. And it caused me just to, oh God, dare I withhold my praise to you. And often I would just, I would kneel on the front seat, by the front seat. And I would lift my hands and I would close my, and then sing the song. There was something liberating about it. It wasn't hype. It was praising God. It was worship. And you have it throughout the scriptures. We have uh, the Bible can be summarized, New Testament in five sections, the Gospels, the Book of Acts, the Apostles, Epistles, the General Epistles, the Book of Revelation. And you go through every one of them and you see praise and worship throughout. Every one of them. In Luke 2, it talks about the shepherds glorifying, glorifying and praising God. The shepherds, a bunch of farmers out in the field doing this. You have later in chapter 24, the church worshiped with great joy, praising and blessing God. Those words meant there was expression coming out, not just with words. In Matthew 21, speaks of people shouting. In Luke 6, says they leapt. In Matthew 11 and 7, and they were rebuked because they didn't dance. Throughout the New Testament. The book of Acts, they leapt and praised the Lord. 
Pauline epistle speaks of confessing in their praise and rejoicing in their praise in the general epistles. Praising God. From the fruit of our lips, we praise Him. I want to close with this story. It's lost in a lot of our translations, and it's unfortunate, but it's in 2 Chronicles 9. And in a few moments, we're going we're to spend about 10, 15 minutes here and just worshiping the Lord. But in 2 Chronicles 9, verse 4, it tells the story of Queen of Sheba. And the story around Queen of Sheba, Solomon had such great splendor. And the Queen of Sheba, who was herself super-duper wealthy, she was at the top of the game, super wealthy, but she'd heard about Solomon, so she went and visited Solomon, and they were like, he was showing off all his stuff. When she arrived, 2 Chronicles 9, when she arrived, she was amazed at Solomon's wisdom, but something caught her breath away. Now, I want to translate it in the King James on this, because the other translators uh, threw the translation in another direction. King James translation says here, the, the Queen of Sheba, she's wealthy, she's, you think she's seen everything. She's secular, she's not a, a godly woman. She is there, Solomon's place at the temple. He's shown off all his wealth. Here it is, verse 4, 2 Chronicles 9, verse 4. And the meat of his table, and the sitting of his servants, and the attendance of his ministers, and their apparel. His cupbearers also, and their apparel. Now here's the part. And, and this is what it made, and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord. And there was no more spirit in her. She lost it. Now the other translators have spun this out in a different direction. But I want to catch that. And his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord. Now if you studied the Solomon, you realize what the ascent was. And the ascent wasn't a great staircase, right? It wasn't the grand staircase. That's not the, whoa, look at that grand staircase. Like, wow, I'm in the spirit. No, that wasn't it. And his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no spirit left in her. What happened was this. The raw power and the glory of a people totally abandoned in praise and worship, playing their instruments, clapping their hands, shouting to God, leaping for joy, dancing for joy, singing with all their might as they went to the house of the Lord. She witnessed it. Never seen it before. And it undid her. It said there was no spirit left in her. <laughs> that was the ascent. The ascent was a people that got lost in the abandonment of power, praise, and worship. How did those people get there? Well, remember the sacrifice. Solomon had over 100,000 animals killed at the sacrifice for the dedication to the glory of God. It was huge. Biggest barbecue ever. Huge, huge, huge. And when she was there, she saw them going to the house of the Lord with such jubilation, joy, and praise. It says here, there was no more spirit in her. No more spirit in her. I think that's God's calling. God's calling to produce. I think in, in today's time, the unbeliever is looking, not for a people who can go through the creeds. Not that they're wrong but for a people who understand what it is to rejoice in the house of the Lord, to give it all, to give it their everything. That so many times our burdens, our problems that we come with can be healed, delivered, set free. When we behold God's people 
striding with strength into the house of the Lord. And the hearing of the strange and joyful sound. What have you got to praise God about? Well, what have we got to praise? You see, if we went through Thanksgiving, we have a lot to thank him. You know, expression we've said many a time. If you know what I know, how God has set me free, then you would dance too. Because he has set me free. And in that, we can echo with Isaiah 54 verse 1. Sing, barren woman. You who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy. You who were never in labor because more are the children of a desolate woman. Why? In your barrenness, don't simply grieve. Begin to worship. Begin to sing. Begin to rejoice in the Lord. Discover what it is to release faith in praise and worship. The world will see the church that worships God. They will wonder, what is it that causes you to do that? They will sense the presence of Jehovah in our midst. The queen of Sheba of these last days will see the moving of God as predicted in 1 Corinthians 14. We've been spending a lot of time in chapter 12, chapter 13, 14. 1 Corinthians 14, 25, and they will confess God is truly among you. That's what the world needs to see. Not just a lot of theories and debates, but when they see the expression of a people lost to the glory of God. Oh, how can you argue with that? A life that lives transformed for God's glory. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.